Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Steve Grosso, Karen Feinerman, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, Netflix or chill. Shares of the streaming giant plunging by the most in nearly a decade and erasing almost two years of gains. But the move has not one, but two of the traders dipping their toes in. We'll find out why. Plus, a Bitcoin breakdown price is falling to the lowest level since August. And our Bitcoin baller, BK, is here to dissect the move, give us his thoughts on where things are going from here. And later, a tale of two tech trades, why the charts say two of the biggest names in the space are ready to head in very opposite directions. We start off with another sharp sell-off to end the week. The Nasdaq dropping nearly 3% to close at the lows of the day. The index now down more than 15% from its record high. And look at the moves across markets just this week. The S&P down more than 5.5%. Treasury yields dropping from multi-year highs. In commodities, the economic recovery trade getting crushed. The S&P mining ETF dropping more than 10%. So what exactly is the market trying to tell us, Tim Seymour? What do you think? I think the market is, is trying to grapple with where margins are really going to be for corporate earnings, ultimately what we should be paying for stocks, and really how aggressive is the Fed going to be. And I, I don't think that, you know, we can debate what the Fed's going to really be saying this week. I don't think this week's Fed coming up is going to be you know, very critical. I think it's ultimately a case of, of what investors are, are willing to pay for stocks in an environment where uh, either way we all recognize that we have inflation. It's not going away. And, and I think that's really the debate here. We have seen, uh, especially towards the end of this week, where, uh, first of all, you look at small cap stocks, you look at um, high growth stocks, um, they're trading the same way. And then we start to question growth in the last couple of days of the week when we start to look at maybe, you know, flattening of the yield curve. What's happening to commodity stocks? Steel, steel stocks, iron ore, um, you know, down 15 percent in two days, effectively across the board. So um, the real question, I think, is what is the multiple to pay for stocks when we're seeing an hearing in the earnings that we've had, companies that are blaming margin pressure on everything from labor costs to supply chain to the dollar. Uh, Netflix, you know, started to talk about the hit to their gross margin. Uh, to me, the dollar is also a headwind. So as I like to say, more Fed equals more volatility. And right now, we really don't know what to pay for, uh, for, for assets in a world where every asset went higher over the last 15 months. Yeah, and I guess that's why we threw commodities and the chart there in at the top, Brian Kelly, because I guess we're sort of asking the question, what sort of environment is this? Are the markets telling us to prepare for economic slowdown? This as the Fed gets prepared to hike. Yeah, I think that's what the message is. I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit, but the Fed has two choices. They can either tolerate inflation or they can raise rates to a point where the economy slows and hopefully they don't raise rates enough so much that the economy goes into recession. Right now, the stock market is telling you, hey, wait a second, we might be looking at a recession. The Fed is likely raising rates at the exact wrong time. Therefore, to Tim's point, not only do we not know what multiple to pay, but we don't really know if earnings are going to hold up. So if you get an entire economy slowing down and a non-accommodative Fed, that's a really tough environment for risk assets. Yeah, Grasso, what do you think? 
Yeah, so, so yes, it, it's all about the Fed uh, as, as far as rates and what the multiples should be paid. But it is interesting when you look at a lot of these charts, they're trying to push stocks back to the pre-pandemic level. So that February high before they fell off a cliff is where a lot of these charts have leaned. So what does it mean? I, you know, you have so much. You have China, you have Russia, you have geopolitical, you have the Fed, you have the rotation. Uh, value has grossly underperformed uh, gr- uh, growth in for, for years, for over 10 years. And now when value is lifting its head a little bit, people are starting to think, is that a bubble? I don't think that's a bubble. A lot more to come to the downside for growth, a lot higher for value. Yeah. Do you agree, Karen? I do. I mean, I think when you're in an environment like this with the Fed doing what they've said they would do, I think that that rotation kind of, uh, it's not a gravitational pull, but for someone like me, it very much is. And, you know, to Tim's point about what do you pay for stocks? What's the right multiple? I mean, that's a great question. But I also sort of step back and think, you know, sentiment is a pendulum. And it doesn't stop at fair value. It swings way (laughs) past. And so the challenge for me is that, you know, I look at things like that I would think about, all right, do I short a DocuSign or something like that against some value longs? And then I see, wow, it was at whatever, 230, 240, not very long ago. But that might be a useless piece of information. The question is, right here, is it still very overvalued? And can you make money on the short side from here? Again, some of my long stuff that isn't working this week, for sure. I like the banks. That's not working. And then what do I want to buy? And then on top of that, I layer this question of, wow, what a terrible week we had. And have we seen the pressure from margin calls yet? Or are we going to see that a little bit next week? So that's sort of another thing. So I have a buy list. Mm-hmm. I, I really haven't you know, started using it yet. I'm anxious to use it, but I think I'll get a chance to buy things cheaper on Monday than today. I think the margin call issue is an interesting one, you know, in terms of margin calls on professional traders, but also the retail trader. And, you know, if they start getting queasy from this volatility, you know, they they could be selling, too. They were the marginal buyer on the way up, and they could be that marginal seller that pressures the markets lower, Tim. In May and June of 2020, we started talking about the retail trader in ways we hadn't on this show in years. And, 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 and yes, we spent a lot of time also just talking about passive uh, flows into equities, into ETFs, and, and that really which comes from liquidity. So um, we haven't even begun to see any of that. And I'm not sure that we necessarily have to. Um, but I do think that there is a lack of understanding. Look, one of the things that's really interesting about a trader's mentality, maybe even a less uh, sophisticated trader, and by the way, that could be uh, anyone on a relative basis to, um, you know, wherever they sit in terms of experience. But I, I just, you know, people seem to be a lot more anxious when there's a trade that they were in and the stock actually they're, they're missing out. So stocks moving higher that they sold or one that they believed in. And they often chase those on the way up. They seem to be overly content when stocks that they own that have been bad trades continue to go down in, in some sense 
or as we say, they cut their flowers and keep their weeds. Right now, we haven't gotten to that point yet. I know it feels like there's been blood in the street. But I, I think if you look at where stocks are, and again, the oversold condition, yes, on a relative basis, I think this is through the October 3 low. Um, and, and whether it's measuring relative strength indicators that, again, on a short-term basis tell you, they're more indicative of telling you a, a change in sentiment. But look, the S&P is still 30% above pre-COVID levels. And I remember back in that May-June period of 2020, we, we kind of pondered, when will stocks get back above their pre-COVID levels? When will we kind of take out COVID and, and just kind of get back to normalcy? Well, most of these stocks, and I mean Starbucks, Nike, um, you know, Target went more than 50% through those pre-COVID levels. And then you go back to a chart like Amazon, which looks like it wants to scream back to that pre-COVID level. And so, um, you know, I think this gets back to that, that place where sentiment is. Um, and, and I think a lot of people are very concerned, really, what was real or what was not. And certainly in terms of stimulus, um, the Fed had a lot to do with what was not real. BK, it sounds like you're you're thinking, you know, to heck with trying to figure out the, the valuation, the right multiple for the overall markets. You're going for very specific idiosyncratic stories. And I was hoping you can walk me through yeah. MP. I think that's an interesting one because it harkens back to your roots as being the one trader on this panel way back when, since we are celebrating our 15th anniversary, when rare earth stocks were really hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Molly Corp, that's what MP used to be called, was just what a fantastic trade that was. And I'm back into MP. So here's, here's the logic on it, is that we are in a very rough geopolitical landscape. Most of the rare earths in the world come from China. You need these rare earths to make that electric vehicle and to make batteries and all of that. It is unlikely that you're going to have China have 90% control over that. There is currently one publicly traded rare earth mine in the U.S. That's the Mountain Pass mine. MP Corp is the stock. And so for me, it doesn't necessarily matter whether or not the multiple is right or whether or not earnings are right. What I'm playing it for is there's going to be a geopolitical event where the U.S. says, hey, wait a second, all rare earths that we produce that we have here, we need to start producing these things. And by the way, corporations, you can't buy from China anymore. Alternatively, the situation could be what happened the last time and China started to restrict the supply. So either way, the supply gets restricted. I don't have to worry about what the Fed's going to do. It's just kind of this idiosyncratic, very specific trade. All right, let's move on and talk about Netflix, the stock plunging 22 percent for its worst day since 2012. The drop cut Netflix's valuation to just under 35 next year's, 35 times next year's earnings. That's on par with the likes of Disney, Costco, the New York Times, and Vail Resorts. Two of our traders took the opportunity to buy shares today. Karen, you're one of them. I never thought I'd, I'd hear you say, I'm, I bought Netflix today, <laughs> but here we are. I know, here we are. And you'd think I would have learned after last year, not, not you know, paying attention to the three-day rule to my great detriment, that I would have done nothing today, but I actually I just couldn't help myself. So I bought a tiny bit of Netflix just right around where it closed. And I, you know, I haven't had the chance to buy it at this valuation. Now, maybe that's maybe that's a chance I don't want to have. But I do think that people are just puking it out. I like seeing all the analyst downgrades that sort of fuels the puke further. And I think we'll see more momentum to the downside. And I, you know, 
some of the things that they cited are we should be a little concerned about. However, I do think in the past they have been under-promisers and over-deliverers, and we could see that again and see a quick rebound. So I think this sets up better than it has in quite some time. So I want to buy more. I couldn't help myself. I had to buy, I had to buy some. Tim couldn't help himself either, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, look, again, reset on sentiment and expectations. And, and I think a change in the story now is fully come through. This is not about subgrowth in category leadership. This is about uh, higher ARPU, average revenue per user, in some of the lower income but higher growth markets. And then free cash flow, yeah, we're saying that with Netflix, even on, you know, in a world where they said two and a half million on first quarter subs when the street had them, you know, substantially higher than that, um, six to seven million. But, but the, the content spend does have leverage over time. Uh, and in fact, I still think they actually will have outside of 2020, really their, their first year of positive free cash flow in 22. And, and by 2026, this could be a $10 billion a year free cash flow story without necessarily, uh, you know, the kind of subgrowth even that I think the street was at yesterday, which was 25 million plus for the foreseeable. But, but again, I, I think it comes back to a much more reasonable expectation. The big question here on margin, and again, it is operating margin concern, that do they have the pricing power as they you know, now talk about competition for the first time, almost uh, in some sense that they're uh, a little bit wary of it, even though Reed Hastings almost invited it. But let's be clear. You know, streaming is is the market's not getting smaller. It's getting bigger. Um, linear TV done. We're not concerned about their reason for being. And, and arguably, they still are a category leader. Um, and I just think it's time that you've, you've reset expectations. That's what made today interesting. All right. Coming up, we're heading to the burbs. Why the chart master says the good times are over for Costco and Home Depot. We got the trades next. Plus later, Bitcoin in a downward spiral. Some are even calling this the Matt Damon top. The details on why straight ahead as we head to break. Check this out. The Nasdaq celebrating 15 years of fast money with this message on the tower overlooking our home, Times Square today. Thank you, Nasdaq. Stay tuned. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Like much of the market, Home Depot and Costco have taken a leg down in recent weeks. But our next guest says the stocks are becoming a good place to hide amid the turmoil. Let's bring in Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Hey, Carter, what are you looking at? How are you? Well, uh, you know, a, a couple things, uh, and, and just specific to Home Depot and Costco. When you have a lot of red, as you had today, and you have two big stocks like this that are barely down, it, it begs the question, well, why are they uh, not down in line with so many other stocks? It's free will, right? People can choose to sell anything, whether they're forced to for a margin call or because they're trying to de-risk on their own. Home Depot and Costco attracted less sellers, had less selling pressure today, and that alone is important. Um, I have a few charts and tables. Let's uh, see what we can divine. So the first is a table, and this is, uh, this is the setup, I think, that's important. If you just sort of simply look at uh, how far below these two stocks are from their 52-week high relative to the S&P, of course, you see here that Costco's down 16%, Home Depot's down uh, 17, 18, and the S&P is, of course, down only 8. So we have the precondition of worse than the market um, over the past several weeks. Now, um, let's look at a chart or two and then conclude with the first thing I said about today's relative strength. So the first chart is Costco, um, 571, it's peak, it's down at 481. Again, that's down to 16%, and it's right to just above its rising 150-day moving average. Look at Home Depot's chart, the next chart. It's the same circumstance, right? Home Depot was 411 on its high, down to 349, and it's just down to and slightly below its 150-day moving average. So if you were to plot these two securities, look at the third chart. This is the two stocks as though they were one security, plotted equal weight, a basket, about uh, 600 billion in market cap. And the basket, the two stock equal weight basket is down exactly to the 150-day moving average, where rebound potential is high. And then the final table, which is really just the tell-all, and it's a good segue from the first table. What do we know? Today, Costco down 25 base points, Home Depot down 14, and the market down almost 200. So you have what I think is an excellent setup of preceding weakness that's almost double the market. They're down almost twice the market from their 52-week high. But in a day like today, exhibiting tremendous relative strength. I think if you're looking at a place to uh, put some money on the long side or to maybe hide out, Home Depot, Costco. All right, Carter, thank you. We will see you in just a few minutes on Options Action. Seagrass, I will go to you. Are these two places that you would like to hide out in? Would you play for this rebound potential, as Carter puts it? I, I would not in, uh, in Costco and Home Depot. When I look at this, my, my, my premise is that people want to push, traders want to push these back as hard as they can to those pre-pandemic levels. Now, granted, Costco and Home Depot are, have reacted and changed people's behaviors out of the pandemic. So I think they get a premium. But I still think Costco can trade down uh, to $325 if you're really looking aggressive or 390 That, to me, is a deep discount. And Home Depot can do uh, likewise, can get pretty, pretty beat up here. Looking at the level I'm looking at is 245 so maybe 300 to split the difference. Um, Costco has a forward P.E. about the same as the Netflix forward P.E., as we mentioned in the first segment of the show. I don't know if that says that Netflix has gotten much, much cheaper, which it has, or Costco is overvalued here, Karen, and I'm wondering where you stand on this. Mm-hmm. 
Well, from my book, I have this tiny toe of uh, Netflix and no Costco. So um, I do have, you know, exposure that I consider similar, which is Target, um, which is a big position. And I have some Walmart. All that haven't been said, I, I would rather, if that was the question, which it sort of wasn't, um, I would rather own Netflix as the, at this multiple. All right. Up next, a crypto collapse. The Bitcoin baller is here, of course, with one key chart that tells us where this market is heading. Stick around much more fast right after this quick break. Mark your calendars for a special series all next week here on Fast Money. From the AMC Apes to Wall Street Bets, we are tackling all the trends that change the way we trade over the past year. Special coverage of the retail revolution starts Monday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Fast Money. All right, the risk off rotation has come for the crypto market. Bitcoin tanking today, down 14%, breaching the $40,000 mark, dropping to its lowest level since July. It wasn't the only crypto under pressure. Ether, Litecoin also selling off. Luckily, we've got crypto pro BK on the desk today. So what do you make of this move? Yeah, it's pretty ugly and it's pretty painful, right? And so a lot of people will ask me, okay, well, was that the, the Matt Damon top and and, that, and is that it? I mean, despite how cringeworthy that ad was, and I'm sorry, Matt, I know you watch the show a lot, but it was bad. I still don't think that the crypto market, that this bull run is over. And one of my key indicators that I always look at is addresses. And you can think of addresses as like Facebook's monthly active users. It's network effect. And what we're seeing, the chart I brought along is active addresses. And what we're seeing is we're not seeing a precipitous fall off in addresses like we saw in 2018. In fact, it's holding steady. So that tells me that there are still active users out there. The network is still being used despite the price drop. Uh, and, you know, that to me says this is just a painful correction. Now, what would change my mind if we do see those addresses really start to fall off? But for now, that's not what we're seeing. So I think this is just a painful correction. Um, the Matt Damon top, by the way, we're referring to when he started being the spokesperson for Crypto.com, a commercial which debuted in October. We have the graphic there, you can see, um, and that coincides actually with uh, the latest top for, for Bitcoin. Um, Tim, how are you feeling about your holdings? Well, I mean, I got to tell you, Matt Damon looks very tired in that commercial, too. I, I, I kind of feel like it, 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 he, he was as exhausted as the chart was. Um, look, BK is talking about look, adherence and network effect. I, I would point out that I think institutional adoption of, of crypto assets, um, of blockchain technology and Bitcoin as a, a proxy for the sector is only beginning. Uh, the, the move here is is very much in line with the beta that the asset class trades with overall markets. And in fact, uh, at times has led the move up and times led, led, led the move down. To expect it to be treated like gold here um, as defensive in the middle of this, I think, would be uh, not realistic. So um, disappointing for people that are holding these assets. But when you consider the, the stratospheric run, uh, it's not surprising when you're seeing free fall on Amazon. Um, and again, we've talked about where I, I think even some of the, the, the mega cap tech stocks have been the treasury market for crypto players. It's not surprising to see the move we have here. I think institutions are, are, are ready to pick some up. All right. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn on this Friday. Tim, back over to you. Final trade. Yeah, I, I, I'm ready to follow Carter and pick up some Home Depot again on valuation and on that 200-day bounce. Um, but 24 times forward, not expensive for I think the leading you know hardline specialty retailer in, in the, uh, the home department. Stephen Grasso. 
Not, uh, not looking forward to buying anything, but if I had to, and I do on a final trade, XLP Staples probably on a relative basis outperforms. Karen Feinerman. Yes, if you're looking to hide somewhere, I would say corner drugstore, CVS 12 and a half-ish times earnings, nice dividend. It's okay in a market like this. BK. Well, for me, I'm going to go into the commodities area and some decent relative strength in the copper arena. FCX report, Mac. I think that's the way you play it. All right, that does it for us here on Fast for the Week. Don't go anywhere, though. Options action is up next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.